0: Well, let us open our Bibles this morning to the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now, I was saying to someone this morning that I enjoy every sermon that I get to preach to you. That is, I'm always excited about the things that God has shown me in His Word throughout the week. And I anticipate the time in which I get to deliver the meal to you on Sundays and Wednesdays, but I am, I am especially excited about this morning's thought because this core conviction that we're going to look at today really is the defining characteristic between any other church. It is the distinctive difference that separates perhaps this church from another church or perhaps your Christian family from another Christian family. It is the engine that drives the church. And we want to be clear that we understand what that is so that we can constantly give our attention and focus to it as we seek to honor God and exalt His gospel together. And so I want us to begin this morning by reading 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We'll look at the first four verses of the chapter. The Apostle Paul writing here says, Moreover, brothers, or I want to remind you, brothers, of the gospel, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you now stand, by which also you are saved or you are being saved. If you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless that is, you believed in vain. For I deliver to you, first of all, that which I also received that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. We're in our series of sermons here on Sunday mornings called Core Convictions. Core Convictions. Core convictions are how our theology and our motives express themselves practically. We have our theology, our statement of faith as a church. We have our, our motives, our, our mission as a church. Now we have our core convictions. That is, we take what our theology is and our mission, our motives, and now we express these things and practical living, and practical expressions in our church church family. That's what core convictions are. And we've looked at four of these core convictions already. Uh, The first core conviction was meaningful membership, followed by gathering together. We looked during the third week at expository preaching. And then last Sunday, the the fourth core conviction is disciple-making, disciple-making. Well, this morning we're going to look at the fifth, and we are halfway through because there are uh, ten core convictions that we're going to study together in this series. The fifth core conviction, as you see there, is gospel centrality, gospel centrality. So what are our core convictions as a church? Meaningful membership, gathering together, expository preaching, disciple making, and then gospel centrality gospel centrality. What do we mean by gospel centrality? Well, as we see here on the screen, we acknowledge that the whole Bible is about Jesus, that people are transformed by grace, not law, that our ultimate validation is found in the gospel, not works, and that our unity That our unity is driven by the gospel, not politics, traditions, or preferences. This is what we mean when we say we are gospel-centered. And that is the core conviction that we study together this morning. Gospel centrality or or gospel-centered. Now I want to bring clarity to what we mean by this because it is a mantra that is said a lot. We say gospel-centered preaching, gospel-centered marriages, gospel-centered parenting. We're saying this morning that we are a gospel-centered church. Well what do we mean by that? How can we bring clarity to this? Well, I want you to, to, to think about what we mean when we say a person is self-centered, all right? Self-centered. What do we mean when we say a person is self-centered, or when someone says about us that we are self-centered, well, we don't mean that all they think about directly is themselves because they think about a whole lot of other things. They, they think about food. They think about clothing. They think about money. They, they think about a host of other things. What we mean when we say a person is self-centered or that we have a tendency to be self-centered is that self informs all of these other things. Self drives the decisions that we make. Self motivates what we're going to think and what we're going to do. You see, a self-centered person passes all that he does and thinks through the filter of himself, not others, Not anything else, but himself. Well, in a similar way, to be gospel-centered doesn't mean that we don't ever think about other things. It doesn't mean that we don't ever think about social and political issues, marital and sexual matters, or even how we're going to spend our Labor Day tomorrow. Rather, to be gospel-centered means that all of life is viewed in light of the gospel. That everything passes through the filter of the gospel. It means that what God is doing in our lives and what God is doing in our church through his gospel, it, it trumps everything else. And that it is the gospel that orders all of our life accordingly. In other words, the gospel sets the agenda of our life. The gospel sets the priorities of our church. The gospel is the one that dictates or is the, the thing that, that dictates all that we are, all that we think, all that we do. So to live a life of true joy and abundant victory is to live life centered on the gospel. Centered on the gospel. And the exact same principle is true for the church as well. For the only way that you and I as a church family will experience a joyful church life with abundant fruit to the glory of God is to make sure that the gospel is always the engine that drives our identity and our mission. And I want to say that again because it's very important. The gospel is the engine that drives our identity and our mission. The gospel is the engine that drives our identity and our mission. And so if we want to experience a joyful church life, if we want to experience abundant victory, and God's blessings. We have to make sure that the gospel is always the engine that drives who we are, our identity, and what we do, our mission. That is gospel centrality. Now, our text is 1 Corinthians 15, as we've read. And if someone asked you to explain gospel centrality... This is where you would want to go. Now, there's some other passages as well, and we'll look at some of those along the way. But this is this is where you really want to look. Somebody says you're a gospel-centered Christian. What do you mean by that? Or, or, or your church is a gospel-centered church. What, what, what do you mean? Where, 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 where do I see that in the Bible? Notice notice with me several things that the Apostle Paul says here in these four verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, Number one, he tells us first of all that the gospel is of primary importance. The gospel is of primary importance. Look at verse 3. He says, I deliver to you first of all. First of all, in other words, the first thing that I said, the first thing that I preached, the primary thing, or as the, as the ESV translates it, I delivered to you as of first importance. First importance. And he goes on to, to define the gospel. He's telling us that the gospel is first among everything. The gospel is first among everything. The gospel is of primary importance. Now, church family, we need to begin here because Paul is saying clearly that nothing is more important than the gospel. It is to be first and primary among everything. Unfortunately, for many people and in many places, the gospel is just in the background. It's mentioned every now and then or tagged on briefly to a sermon on a a special Sunday or a special occasion. Yet scripture tells us that it is to be the hallmark of the church. It is to be the centerpiece of the church. It is to be the primary lens by which we as a church view everything. How does the gospel speak into this? How does the gospel show this about me? How does the how does the gospel reveal this endeavor that we take together as a church? The gospel is of primary importance. First of all, first of all, first among everything. And Paul would say in First Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 1, When I came to you, I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I determined when I came to you that I would not know anything about you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I've often wondered exactly what did Paul mean by that statement. I didn't want to know anything else but Jesus and him crucified. Well, of all that Paul might have meant by that statement, one thing he made certainly clear, that there is nothing in life More important than knowing Jesus Christ and Him crucified. So as a church, as Christians, as believers, we we follow His lead. Nothing is more important than knowing, believing, and centering our life and church on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because the gospel trumps everything. The gospel trumps your traditions. The gospel trumps your politics. The gospel trumps your preferences. The gospel trumps what you want to see done, what you want to see accomplished, what you want to hear taught, what you want to hear sung. No, the gospel trumps everything. I determine not to know anything among you except this one anthem, Jesus Christ and him crucified. And so we have to understand that when we think about gospel centrality, Gospel centrality begins when we acknowledge that the gospel is of primary importance. It's not just important, it's of primary importance. Now, let's be very practical in the sense that if the gospel is of primary importance, then we need to know what the gospel is. We need to know what the gospel is, and and Paul helps us with that. And so here's the second statement I want you to write down, and it's very simple. The gospel is Jesus. That's the gospel. The gospel is Jesus. Uh, Again, verse 1 and 3 and 4 in our text, Paul says, I I declare, I I remind you about the gospel. Verse 3, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. So here we have the gospel declared for us. Jesus Christ died. He was buried and he rose again the third day. He died for our sins. He was buried for our sins and he rose again the third day for our sins. This is the gospel. Now It is true that the content of the gospel is more than this. But it's certainly not less than this. Christ died. He was buried. And he rose again for our sins. And this message, this message of good news is of primary importance. And we can never hear it too much. Whether you are hearing the gospel this morning for the very first time Or for the one millionth time. You never hear the gospel too much. The gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ, who is God in the flesh. Jesus Christ, who is God in the flesh. He came from heaven to earth. He was born of a virgin. He grew and lived a perfect, sinless life died on a cross in my place to pardon my sin once and for all and was raised from the dead to finish the work of salvation so that those who trust in Jesus alone, those who trust in Jesus alone, let me say it again, those who trust in Jesus alone may experience the divine grace of new life in Christ and reconciliation with God forever. This is the gospel. This is the gospel. And friends, the gospel message is not just the focal point of the New Testament. The gospel is also the focal point of the Old Testament. The entire Bible is a book about Jesus. It is a book about Jesus and the gospel that bears his name. All you have to do is open up to Genesis. We see in the very first chapter 1, the triune God, when, Jesus, when God said, let Us make man in our image, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And then we fast forward and we see the fall of man and how sin has cursed our lives. And what does God do in Genesis chapter 3? He says, hey, I'm going to fix it. I'm going to send my son, Jesus Christ, who will step on and crush the head of Satan and deliver those who believe in him. And from Genesis all the way through the Old Testament, we see the unfolding drama of how God fulfilled that promise, of how God brought Jesus into the world. And then when we open up the new. Testament, we see Jesus coming into the world. And then when we close our Bibles in the book of Revelation, we see Jesus coming back for those whom he has chosen, for those whom he has redeemed. The Bible is a book about Jesus. The whole book. The whole book. Because the gospel is Jesus. And the story of Jesus is the purpose. Of the whole Bible. You see, Jesus is the gospel proclaimed, and Jesus is the gospel explained. And it's by following Jesus that the gospel is received and experienced. Do you understand that today? Jesus is the gospel proclaimed and explained, and it's by following Jesus that we experience the gospel. And we receive it. The gospel is not Mary. The mother of Jesus. The gospel is not Muhammad. The gospel is not Buddha. The gospel is not church attendance. The gospel is not do better. The gospel is not morality. No, 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 none of those things are the gospel. The gospel is one thing. it is Jesus, Christ, and Christ alone. That is the Gospel of Jesus Christ. and we need to make that clear. We need to make that clear what the gospel is and Paul does that for us. He tells us the gospel in terms of gospel centrality again we 're talking about this core conviction. if we are to be a gospel centered Christians and gospel centered churches, we need to understand. That the gospel is first to be the primary important factor of the church is secondly understanding what the gospel is. The gospel is Jesus. Thirdly, thirdly, we're getting into the meat of it now. Here it is. Thirdly, we never move on from the gospel. We never move on from the gospel. And so here's the difference between a Christian or church that is gospel centered and one. Who's not? All right? This is the point of difference. This this third point. We never move on from the gospel. Those who are not gospel-centered are so because they believe that the gospel is exclusively for lost people who do not yet know Jesus. Those people are not gospel-centered. They may sound like they are gospel-centered. But to believe that the gospel is exclusively for lost people who do not know Jesus is to miss the entire point of the gospel. These type of people, they they view the gospel only in past tense. Back when I was so-and-so years old, I heard the gospel and I believed the gospel. But now, pastor, I'm ready for something more ready for something more. Give me something deeper. Give me something more helpful than what I already, I already know. You see, this mentality is anchored in this idea that the gospel is something that only happens in our past. I remember meeting a guest for the very first time. This has been over a decade ago. So if you're a guest this morning or have been over the last couple of months, I'm not, I'm not unveiling you. It's been over a decade ago, meeting them in our church lobby. They, they expressed to me that one of the reasons why they were leaving the church they were members of was because every sermon preached at that church was about the gospel. And their statement to me was, I already know the gospel. What I need is some practical help in my everyday Christian life. This was their their words, their thought. And, and, And I want to help us this morning because that type of thinking is antithetical to the gospel itself. To think that way suggests that the gospel's power is only effective for one purpose. And that is to forgive my sin. But the gospel really has no other bearing upon the rest of my life. That's what they think. The gospel was good enough to forgive me, but the gospel really doesn't have a message to help me today, to help me in my marriage, to help me in my parenting, to help me at work, to help me with whatever struggle that I may have. And churches will often wrongly think and minister in the same way. They view the gospel as only an evangelistic message, but not a message for everyday Christian living. So, I want to help us, church, because the Bible is clear that a Christian never moves on from the gospel. The gospel isn't Christianity 101, the gospel is the entire degree program. You don't move on to deeper things. In fact, The gospel has everything to do with everyday Christian living. It's not the diving board of the Christian life as we often say. It's the entire pool that we swim in. The gospel. The gospel informs, it influences, it motivates everything we do, everything we think, everything that we are. Why do I get up and go to church every Sunday? Because of the message of the gospel that God loved me so much that he bought me and redeemed me by his own blood. The least that I could do is come to hear what he has to say. The gospel informs that. Why do I love my wife the way God wants me to love me? Because it's in the gospel that I discover how much it is that Christ loved me. How do I figure out the best route to parent my child? Because I look at the gospel and I see how God is a father to me. And I learn from the gospel how it is to exercise grace and correction where needed. We never move on from the gospel. You don't jump off of the gospel dive board when you were five years old and prayed a little prayer and now you're swimming into the deep things of God. No, you jumped off the diving board when you trusted Christ and you are swimming your whole life in the abundant gospel of the Lord Jesus. Consider our text for a moment. I want to to prove this to you from Scripture. Look look at verse 1. Paul says, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you. Which also you received. Now, now, look, if you, if you like to mark things in your Bible, this is what I need you to mark. Mark, you received. Okay? You received. Okay? And in which also you stand. That's, that's the second thing to mark. We're going to come back to it in a minute. All right? The gospel, you've received it. You stand in it. Verse 2, by which also you are being saved. Being saved. The original Greek word there is a present future term meaning that this is something God is doing right now in our life for the future. So, he says, this is the gospel that I'm preaching you. Yes, the same gospel that you received, the gospel in which you stand in, and the gospel in which you are being saved, that is, at the end of verse 2, he says, unless, of course, you believed in vain. And if you believed in vain, you're not being saved by the gospel. You don't stand in the gospel because you never truly received the gospel. So let's break these three down. For a moment because we're talking about how we never move on from the gospel. And the Bible proves that to us. So so, so we see first of all here that the gospel is something that you have received. It's something that I have received. It's something that we receive. I received the gospel when I was five years old. This is our conversion experience. This is our profession of faith. And however that happened to you, by the way, Whether like me, you were sitting in a church service and you were compelled by the Holy Spirit through the preaching of God's Word to in that moment receive the gospel of Jesus Christ or somebody was sitting with you over a dinner table and explaining to you the gospel or whatever whatever the case was, however that happened, when we talk about receiving the gospel, we're talking about a point in our life as a Christian where we look back and see where the gospel was shared with us and subsequently we chose to receive it, right? This is what we call the moment of salvation, the moment of salvation, the time in our life we received the gospel. And the question this morning is, have you received the gospel? If you cannot look back on your life and discover a point that you started believing the gospel and that you received the gospel, then friends, we need to employ you today to come and follow Jesus Christ. Receive the gospel. Repent of your sins. Believe Jesus. Follow Christ as Lord and Savior. So Paul says the gospel is something that we have received. But it's not just something we have received. He says secondly here that the gospel is something that those who have received it now Stand in it. Now stand in it. So what is he doing? He's showing us past. The gospel is something we received in the past. Now he's telling us about the present. Right now. The gospel is something we stand in. So the gospel for a true believer is not like a not like a gift you give your child at Christmas. And you're all excited about it. You've been hiding it away in the closet for a long time, right? And, and you get it out on Christmas morning, and they open it up, and they're, they're happy. They play with it for about 10 minutes, and then they go on to the old toy. <laughs> all right? That's not the gospel, not for a true believer. It's not a gift you received, and now you're done with it. You're moving on to other things. No, 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 We stand right now in the gospel. The gospel that we've received is the gospel that we Stand in. And friends, nothing is bigger and better than this. No position in life is deeper or greater. We are right now standing in Christ in the gospel. And it's why we daily take up the cross and follow Him. It's why His mercies in our life are new every morning. Because of His gospel, every day we stand justified. Not only just as if I've never sinned, but just as if I've always been perfect. We stand justified in the presence of God because of what the gospel means to us. It's something that has happened in our past. It is something that changes our present state. In other words, the gospel is our identity. It's who I am right now. I am a child of God. I am saved by the gospel. My life is all about the gospel because this is where I stand. I stand in the gospel. But he doesn't just talk about the past and the present. He also talks about the future, what God is doing now for the future. Look at this. The gospel is something that those who receive it not only stand in it, but they are also being saved by it. They are being saved by it. Again, the word here is present-future tense. The ESV gets it right. It's being saved by it. It's something that God is doing right now. It speaks of sanctification, the ongoing sanctification of a Christian's life, which is, by the way, how God's grace changes us. It's how God makes us more like Jesus. Sanctification. How does He do that? Through the gospel. The gospel makes us more like Jesus. The gospel changes us. The gospel transforms us. So, so the gospel, it's something we've received, it's something we stand in, it's something we are being saved by. It's past, it's present. It's future because we never move on from the gospel. We never move on from the gospel. Paul would dive into this a little bit more in Galatians chapter 3 when he sarcastically asked the church there if they actually thought they had graduated from the gospel. And I think sometimes we think that, don't we? We go through our little discipleship program and, and uh, we, we look back. I've been a Christian for X amount of years now. I don't, I don't, I don't need to hear this anymore because I am... I have received my degree in the gospel. Listen to what he said. He said to the church at Galatia, Are you foolish? That's what he says. Are you foolish? Are you so foolish having begun in the spirit, that is the gospel of grace, you've started the Christian life in the gospel, but now you think you're being made perfect by the flesh? Are you so foolish to think that? That you start in the gospel, but the rest of your Christian life is law? The rest of your Christian life is rules? The rest of your Christian life is pragmatism? You can't be so foolish to think that. The gospel that you started in is the gospel that matures you, that changes you, that transforms your life. Are we so foolish enough to think That you start with the gospel, but now we need five practical tips to a better marriage in order to change? You see, Paul is refuting the idea that the gospel is something we receive and then we go on to better ourselves by our good works. No, friends. Listen carefully. The gospel is both the power and the pathway to all God's sanctifying work in your life. The gospel is both the power and the pathway to all God's sanctifying work in our life. In other words, we never move on from the gospel. So we preach the gospel. And we teach the gospel and we ground ourselves in the gospel and we sing about the gospel and we think about the gospel and we reflect on the gospel and we look to what the gospel says before we make these decisions or journey on these endeavors. Everything is about the gospel because our Christian life from the day I began until the day I see Jesus is always about the gospel. I've received it. I stand in it. And God is changing me by the gospel, by the gospel. Which leads me to the fourth thing I want you to see about what Paul says here. And that is that the gospel is the power that saves and sanctifies. The gospel is the power that saves and sanctifies. Again, we return to the whole work of the gospel in verses 1 and 2. We receive it. We stand in it. And we are being saved. We are being changed by it. So, so, So here's what he's saying just in this this, this little formula here, that it's only the power of the gospel that can save a sinner from the wrath of God. Amen? As well as, it is only the power of go- of the gospel that can change a sinner into the image of Christ. It's both and. It saves a sinner from the wrath of God and it changes a sinner into the image of Christ. In other words, it is the power of the gospel that produces spiritual fruit in our lives that actually remains, that actually stays there, that actually accompanies us until our last breath. And here's the comparison. The law cannot do that. The law cannot produce in your life and mine fruit that remains. It cannot change you into, from a sinner into the image of Christ. It cannot do that. The Bible is very clear about that. Your traditions cannot do this. Pragmatism cannot do this. Only the gospel can do this. So the answer to our need to often do better, is not a sermon series from your pastor called, let's do better. That's not the answer. And I'll be honest with you. There are times I want to look at you and say, you need to act right. And the temptation behind that is to preach a message that says, act right. Now, don't look at me cross-eyed like that because you parent that way the same way. Because I have the temptation too. I want to look at my kids and say, do better. So I give them a speech on how to do better. Act right. So I give them a speech on how to act right. Y'all pray for Steve and Tiffany. They're watching my kids over the next few days. I've already given them the act right conversation. Steve will probably have to give them the do better conversation. We have a tendency to, because that's what we think actually works. It's, it's not according to Scripture, not, not in terms of our spiritual life. No, the way we do better, the way we act right according to Scripture is by having a greater understanding of the gospel. Understanding the gospel is what changes us. Not committing ourselves to a better performance than we had yesterday. Ever woke up one morning and said, I'm just going to do better than I did yesterday? Well, you can say that every morning for the rest of your life, but that's not what's going to make you do better. It's not hearing from the pulpit another list of tips and tricks that will never change the heart. But the truth is, that's what people want. We want religious homework. Instead of hearing a message on what Christ has done, we'd rather hear a message on what we must do. But friends, we're not changed by good advice. We're changed by the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And how does that happen? These these changes take place from the gospel when we behold the glory of God more and more. When we behold the glory of God more and more and regularly focus our attention on the finished work of Christ, that is how the gospel changes us. Not focusing on what we have done. Focusing on what Christ has done. Again, Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18, listen to what he said. He says, we all are beholding the glory of the Lord. And as we behold the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed. We are being changed into his image from one glory to another. And he says in the very next verse that this change comes only from the Lord. Pastor, my marriage is struggling. Please help me. Behold the glory of God. I'm struggling with my identity, Pastor. Do you have any sermons there in your library about our identity? Yes. Here's the message. Behold the glory of God. Look at the cross and see His finished work. And that's how you'll know who you are. The gospel does this. The glory of God does this. It's centering our lives on His work. It's beholding the beauty of Christ and His finished work. Those are the things that empower our lives for supernatural and lasting change. Now, none of that means that we never do anything. It means rather that the power behind our doing is the gospel, not the law, not the flesh. For example, Titus chapter 2 tells us that it's the gospel of God's grace that teaches us to live self-controlled, righteous, and godly lives in this world. What is it that teaches us this? Not the law. The gospel of grace teaches us how to live a righteous life. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, he tells us that although the glory of the law is great, he says in verse 18 that the glory of the gospel is better. It's better than the law. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 9 tells us that the heart is established. It's the word that it uses. Our hearts are established by the gospel of grace, not by the deeds of the flesh. I want to show you another scriptural example of what I'm talking about. It's not on the screen, but perhaps you'd like to turn there quickly to Colossians chapter number 3. Colossians chapter number 3. And beginning at verse number 1, we see again how that we never move on from the gospel. Because he says in verse 1, Colossians chapter 3, look at it quickly there. Turn, click, whatever you got to do, get to it. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, he says, if then you were raised with Christ. All right? That's our past receiving of the gospel. When we receive the gospel, we were raised with Christ. So now we want to seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. We're setting our minds on things above, not on things on the earth, because we died. And here's here's the present position. And right now, our life is hidden with Christ in God. All right? So we have received the gospel in the past that calls us to be raised to new life. And right now, presently, here's what the gospel has done. It has hid our life in Christ. And then he says, when Christ, verse 4, who is our life, appears, then also you will appear with him. This is the future in glory. So this is the future salvation in the gospel. The gospel affects our past. It affects our present. It affects our future. Again, we never move on from the gospel. And it's the gospel that empowers our salvation. It's the gospel that empowers our sanctification. Because look at the very first word of verse 5. It's the word, therefore. Therefore, okay, because you have received the gospel, because you stand in the gospel, because the gospel is changing you as you behold the glory of God, therefore, therefore, in other words, the gospel now is going to get to work in your life. The gospel is going to do a work in your life. You're not going to do the work. The gospel is going to do the work. And so in the subsequent verses from 5 all the way down to verse 17, I'll not read them, but he lays out for us how it is that the gospel empowers us. And he specifically says, the gospel empowers our true identity. The gospel empowers our true holiness. The gospel empowers our true unity as a body of people. And the gospel empowers our true worship. Again, it's not five practical steps that we need to follow in order to have this. It's focusing on the finished work of Christ that empowers us to be who God has saved us to be. So how do, we, how do we apply that? Let me, let me give you a couple things to think about because the kids are getting restless. Finding our identity in anything else other than the gospel produces insecurity, issues of acceptance, and self-worth. If if you're struggling this morning with any of those things, you don't need from me five tips to look at yourself better in the mirror every morning and tell yourself, I can do this. No, it's looking to the cross. And when you look at the cross and the finished work of Christ, you see that that was for me. And even though the world rejects me, He loves and accepts me. And although I may feel emotionally like I am worthless, the cross tells me what I'm worth. This is how it practically applies. Any attempt to live holy from the law apart from the gospel, apart from the gospel, we're talking about how this practically applies. Any attempt to live holy from the law apart from the gospel, It only leads to pride and judgmentalism. Look at what I'm doing. Look how good I am. It's the same as a rich young ruler who came to Christ. And he said, look at all these things that I've done. In fact, I've done them all. He had done them all. Jesus already made that clear. Nobody's done them all except him. But when he was focused on the law instead of Jesus, all he could think about was how good he was doing. Look at how self-righteous I am. Look at this pride. Look at this arrogance. Look at this judgmentalism because you don't do what I do. And sometimes we can come from good backgrounds when we we invest a lot into our understanding of the Bible and we come to church. Why, Why it takes us forever to join a church? Because we're so judgmental, we want to find a perfect place, we want to find perfect people and they don't exist. It's judgmentalism, it's pride, it's it's, it's self-righteousness. It's because we're not focused on the gospel. We're focused on ourselves, the law, how good I'm doing. But when we focus on the cross, we look and see the perfect one, the perfect one laid it all out in shame for me you know what that does that doesn't puff you up that brings you down it humbles you it helps you to see grace think about it in terms of the idols in your life idols that all of us struggle with if you don't allow the gospel to destroy your idols do you know what's going to happen you're going to find another idol to take the old idol's place that's what's going to happen But if whatever this idol is in your life, whatever this idol is in your life, rebellion, pornography, anger, whatever this idol is, the only way it's going to be destroyed is for you to behold the glory of God and to see how much sin cursed Jesus when he took it upon his back. It's not five steps to get rid of it. No, it's seeing Jesus. The gospel destroys this. And think about it in terms of our church family. Unless the gospel is at the center of our lives, the center of our church, empowering our entire being and doing, then guess what? Then our unity will be fractured by every little difference there is about us. let's Let's just admit, look at the person right next to you and say, you're different from me. Go ahead, do it right now. You're different from me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody is different from you. We have different thoughts on what the temperature should be right now. We have different thoughts on how long the sermon should be right now. We have different thoughts on what we want to have for lunch. We have different thoughts on how to how to attack the financial crisis in America right now. We have different thoughts about who should be the next candidate for president. We have different thoughts about sports. We have different thoughts about activities. We have different thoughts about a whole lot of stuff And churches are dying and doors are closing and the power of God is leaving and families are being fractured when we get our eyes on the differences and our eyes off of the gospel. The gospel. You see, when the gospel is not the center of our church, our worship will be lifeless. It will be a production centered on man. And not on God. So what do we do? We focus on the gospel. We focused on the gospel. Because when we focus on the law, our hearts will be ruled by self-righteousness in the beginning. And at the end, it will burn out due to religious aspirations. I've been there. I know. Focus on the law. Your heart will be ruled by self-righteousness. And your life will end in religious burnout. But focus on the gospel. And you'll find grace and joy and humility and love and unity and patience. Why? Because the law says get to work. But the gospel says it's finished. Remember this and I'm going to give you the last point. All of our struggles come from a failure to remember the gospel. All of them. All of my struggles, all of your struggles, they come when we fail to remember the gospel. So, that leads us to the final point, number five. We must keep reminding ourselves of the gospel. (laughs) We must keep reminding ourselves of the gospel. We go back to verse number 1. I'm reading from the New King James, but again, I think the ESV says it a lot clearer the way we can understand it. The New King James says, moreover, brethren, the ESV says, I want to remind you, brothers. That's the purpose of the word, moreover. Because of everything he just said, he said, I want to remind you of something. I'm declaring to you. I'm reminding you. I'm reminding you. I'm reminding you. Everything in this text was written to believers who needed to be reminded about the gospel. Believers. 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 He's not declaring this to unbelievers. He's declaring this to believers. He's saying, "You who have received it, I need you to remember what you've received. I need you to remember where you stand. I need to remember what it needs you to remember what it is that's actually going to change your life. Why do we need to remind ourselves of the gospel? For the same reason, you need to remind yourself where you put your keys. We have a tendency to forget, don't we? We have a tendency to fail in our focus on it every day. So we're back to something that we all as pastors share around here a lot. And that is preach the gospel to yourself again and again. Preach the gospel to yourself over and over again. Preach the gospel when you get up. Preach the gospel when you're driving in traffic. Preach the gospel when you sit down with lunch to somebody you don't like. Uh, Preach the gospel when you come home and your kids are stressing you out. Preach the gospel when you're angry at me for preaching so long. Just preach the gospel to yourself over over and over and over and over and over and over again. Remind yourself of what Christ has done for you in the gospel. In the gospel. Center your life. That is, view everything inside of you and outside of you through the lens of the gospel of Jesus. And do it every day. And guess what? As a church, we'll do it every time we come together. So what are the implications of gospel centrality on us as a church? Well they're there in our opening statement. Let me just break them down for you. Number one. The implications of gospel centrality on us as a church is the fact that as again, core conviction, core conviction, is that number one, we acknowledge that the whole Bible is about Jesus. The Bible's not about you, it's not about me, it's about Jesus. And the whole Bible is about Jesus. So we study every passage, every book in light of the whole purpose of Scripture. And the whole purpose of Scripture is that it tells us the story of the gospel of Jesus. And aren't we seeing this in our study of First and Second Samuel on Wednesday nights? Boy, if you've been missing that, you're missing Jesus in the gospels. Jesus' gospel in the Old Testament. David's battle with Goliath does not apply to us in the sense that we got to go pick up our stones and defeat every giant in our life. No, that's not what it's about. It's about Jesus being our David and slaying the giant of death, Goliath. He is the one that we need in our lives. We can't do it. Jesus is the only one who can. He's the purpose of every story in the Bible. Every book, he's the purpose of it. Even Esther, when God's not even mentioned. God's not even mentioned in the whole book. What's the purpose of Esther then? To tell us that when we don't see God and we can't hear from him and we don't know if he's there, he's always in the background working out his sovereign providence and purposes to bring to pass what he has willed and decreed for us. It's all about Jesus. And we acknowledge that to be true. Secondly, we acknowledge that people are transformed by grace, not law. People are transformed by grace, not law. So we pursue sanctification through the gospel, not law-centered, pragmatic messages or a culture that is law-centered and pragmatic. No, we, we pursue the gospel so that the gospel establishes and sets the culture. It's the gospel that changes us, not the law. Oh, the law may help you do better for three months. But on that four months, you're going to be right back to the bottle. you will be right back shooting up again. You're going to click right on that website. You should have never clicked on in the first place. If all you're trying to focus on is how the law can help do this, the law cannot do it. Only the gospel of grace and you looking at Jesus Christ and beholding his glory every day of your life is going to cause you to be changed. Thirdly, We remind ourselves through this gospel centered purpose that our ultimate validation is found in the gospel, not works. This is who I am in Jesus. So, all those struggles I have, that I have, that Jonathan has with wanting everybody to like him, not wanting anybody to be mad at him, all those struggles of insecurity that I have every day of my life, all those anxiety issues. I struggle with every day of my life. I'm telling you that it's my focus on the gospel that helps me to see who I am in Jesus, regardless of what everybody else thinks. And then fourthly, our unity is driven by the gospel, not politics, not traditions, not preferences. That's, that's why on a Sunday like this, for pastor gets up and preaches in his new Adidas tennis shoes. Because I'm gonna get on an airplane here in a minute and I didn't want to watch my dress why wear my dress shoes that hurt my feet. <laughs> but regardless of the reason, we come back next Sunday. Because regardless of our preacher being overweight and his belly's hanging over his belt and he don't know the difference between dress shoes and tennis shoes, I'm not here for him. I'm here for the gospel. Amen. Amen. And our unity together as a body of people is driven by the gospel not our preferences, not our traditions of the past or whatever new tradition we want to form, and it's certainly not about our politics. It's about the gospel. This is gospel centrality. and We have to remind ourselves of it every day, every week. So can I just say finally here, may we always be a church that is striving to behold the glory of the gospel. Can I challenge you every day of your life to drown yourself in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Drown yourself in it. Breathe the gospel. Think about the gospel. Sing the gospel. Read about the gospel. Meditate on the gospel. Just drown yourself in the gospel and you're going to finally discover That it was the gospel I received all those many years ago that's actually the power, that's actually the power that I needed all these years to make the changes that I've always struggled with. May God help us. We're here today for the gospel. And may we be here tomorrow because of our allegiance to the gospel. Let's stand together for prayer.